Hi everyone, my name is Brittany and thank you for joining me on Capella Group's Industry Insights Podcast. Today, joining me is a very, very special guest. We have Jerry Anderson. He is the president of Federal Consulting Group. And just a few key points that I really wanted to point out to you guys is prior to Federal Consulting Group, Jerry was a, was Associate Deputy Assistant to the Secretary of the Office of Affordable Housing Preservations. Not only that, but throughout his career, Jerry has been heavily involved with HUD-related transactions. Um, on top of that, he is one of the few high-level executives at the OAHP that developed the Green Initiative and Green uh, Retrofit Program. Um, and furthermore, he also served as chairman of HUD's National Loan Committee and several other in, uh, internal committees for loan and process approval. So. With all of that, um, Jerry, I just kind of want to jump into it a little bit and ask you, start off by asking, what is it that you uh, are focusing heavily on right now? What is it that you do currently? Well, through Federal Consulting Group, we um, really do a lot of transactions for HUD-related properties. Uh, we don't necessarily work for HUD, okay. but we work for all the um, uh, other entities that report to HUD, the um, um, public housing authorities, public housing commissions uh, are in need of advice and uh, sometimes uh, uh, we have to do some conversions for those which we can get into a little later. Okay. Uh, but I also do a lot of work for HUD related issues with the private sector okay. where they may be selling a HUD property that has a Section 8 contract on it. Mm. And there's always an assumption, subordination, or the transfer of that contract that has to be uh, implemented. And okay. uh, so we do a lot of financial reporting to HUD to get all of that accomplished. And uh, so it's just a myriad of things, but it's mostly HUD-related. It's housing and urban development related. Okay. And having been there for seven years uh, in Washington, uh, it's it's still fun and enjoyable for me. So yeah. that's, that's kind of our... Our mantra as far as what we do as a business. I know you're running all over the place. You do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, with that, I kind of just want to jump in and ask you, what makes housing affordable and how are properties categorized? The, <clears throat> the term affordable really stems from the tenants that plan to occupy the property. Right. And so affordable means we need housing that's affordable for the low income, extremely low income, very low income individuals. Those are weighted um, by doing a comparison with the area median income. Okay. So if we have the poverty level to 30% of uh, area median income, those are the people that are extremely low income. Mm. They cannot afford rents, mm. and those are the people that normally go into subsidized properties, okay. uh, such as Section 8, where HUD gives a subsidy. Those individuals only pay 30% of their income, wow. and in a lot of cases, that income is zero. Right. So they really don't even pay, and HUD pays for that part of it. Then there's another category, which is the very low income, which is 30 to 50%. And again, 
you know, they struggle to find housing. A lot of those are in the Section 8 as well, but there's only a limited uh, number of Section 8 properties in the country, so Mm -hmm. that becomes uh, problematic. And then we have the 80% of AMI, area median income and below. Those people generally you'll find in tax credit properties, low-income housing tax credit properties, okay. where the rents are restricted, they're maintained, they are below market, but they're not subsidized, okay. but they at least make it affordable okay. for those people who aren't uh, making a lot of money, basically. And so that affordable comes from those people that occupy the property. So we have Section 8. Yeah. We have um, uh, properties that are under low-income housing tax credits, and those are the two major areas wow. where we'll find affordability and uh, that can meet the needs of those individuals. And are you seeing that, I mean, you say it's across the board, are you seeing that it way out differently in different states and regions? Or is it? Well, it does because of population. Um, and then the Rust Belt, um, which is, you know, your Michigans, Ohio's, Indiana's, hmm. they're the ones that really had, um, did a lot of the Section 8 when Section 8 was available. Gotcha. They had the need because they had the majority of the population. Colorado has a need, but we don't have the population like a New York or right. a Boston or a Philadelphia or some of the other areas of the country that really that's where the affordability factor comes into play. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, now, I think most of our viewers already know you know, what affordable housing is, but what about the supply of affordable housing versus the demand? Um, is there enough supply um, out there right now to meet the demand? The answer is really a quick no. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the problem is there's no longer a subsidized program from HUD. So Section 8, where we would subsidize those people with 30% of their income, would be used for rents, and then HUD would subsidize. Those are no longer available, Mm. except on a program that we're currently working on, which is the rental assistance demonstration, and I'll get into that in in a a moment. So the uh, only other factor, really, for affordability uh, would be low-income housing tax credits. Gotcha. Those are constrained because each state is giving given so much of an allocation each year mm-hmm. based on their population. Really? Okay. So, and it's never enough. Right. And uh, so people are, are using up those low-income housing tax credits. But I'll be quite honest with you, the majority of our tenants or the residents that need the help Mm -hmm. are in that 50% of AMI and below. Mm -hmm. And so those tax credit rents are still very hard for them to maintain. So right now across the country, Mm -hmm. um, depending on who you talk to, there's between 7.2 and 12 million units needed today of affordable housing to meet the needs of those people who would qualify under those guidelines that I just laid out for you. Wow. So it's dramatic. And on top of that, we're losing affordable housing. And Mm -hmm. so one would say, well, how do you lose affordable housing? Right. Well, 
under the public housing program, which is a subsidized program again, but and there the tenants pay 30% of their rent. But Congress gives us a budget every year through HUD mm -hmm. for the public housing sector. Gotcha. I'm going to be blunt. Congress does not like the public housing. Mm. They think that the government owes, owns that housing and that they're subsidizing it. So mm. the public housing agencies and commissions will get an operating subsidy every year. They put in a budget. Mm -hmm. They're lucky if they get 85% of the budget. Yeah. That's to pay the bills. Right. And then on top of that, they always have capital needs. They need a new roof. They right. need a it's new HVA on. system. They need new windows. HUD gives them a grant based on that, but it's never enough. And I have to say that the public housing agencies and commissions across the country have done a remarkable job band-aiding yeah. these properties from a rehab standpoint, but they haven't been able to keep up. So in public housing, we're losing ten to 15,000 units a year because oh. it becomes physically obsolescent and not livable for our tenants. It has to be safe, decent housing. Yeah. And it, when it turns to not safe, decent housing, right. it has to be boarded up. And that's the housing we're losing. Wow. And how does that differ? I mean, I don't know, a few years back. Decade back. I mean, how, how is how it's It's it been? just been a continuum, and yeah. it's been, unfortunately, just getting worse mm -hmm. because the capital grants that these uh, commissions and agencies get on an annual basis um, has never really grown. Uh, it pretty much stays the same. And that's the reason that I mentioned the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. Right. Um, when I was at HUD... Um, Secretary Donovan, Sean Donovan, said, we have a problem here, and he mm. was absolutely correct. Right. And so he um, selected four of us to be on the senior management team to develop a program to take <clears throat> the public housing right. and convert it over to Section 8. Under public housing, they're not allowed to borrow money. So if they have a roof or a need for a roof, right. they can't go to the bank or go to HUD and do a, a, an FHA loan or anything, they're not allowed to borrow. Why? I did not know. Why? It's, yeah, a, why that, it's just the way the program was set up initially. And so all of a sudden you can see where the physical obsolescence of these yep. properties comes into play. Okay. And the RAD program, the Rental Assistance Demonstration, allows us to take that um, public housing mm -hmm. and convert it over to the Section 8 hmm. platform. Okay. Which then they're allowed to borrow money. We can do tax credits. They can go to the private sector. We're no longer dependent on Congress for a capital grant that has always been insufficient anyway. I could agree with that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so from that standpoint, you can see that it's, it's just been a continuum that has been getting worse. But now um, we're converting those public housing units which was, there was about uh, 1.5 million units. Wow. And we've con already converted 750,000 to the new platform. And, and so you think so, there's going to be less and less public housing and more of like the Section 8 and whatnot? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah, that's really, I think, <clears throat> it's always been when I was at HUD, that was in the back of our minds that we needed to convert that whole portfolio. 
there's still some resistance because people don't like change. Sure. And some of them, uh, quite honestly, the, some of the public housing agencies are doing well. Right. You know, they get enough of a, a subsidy on an annual basis and enough of a grant that they can operate fine. And so they're not interested in going through this whole process. And within HUD, there's two silos, I call them. One is public housing, mm -hmm. one is housing. Okay. The public housing is where they get the subsidy from Congress and the housing, which was where I worked, okay. is where the Section 8 mm. uh, resides and sits. So they would be converting from that public housing right. over to housing and it would be a different uh, set of people within HUD that they'd be reporting to. So there's okay. some resistance there and I understand that. It makes perfect sense. Right. Wow. That's a lot um, to take in, but it's good. No, I appreciate you kind of explaining that and kind of breaking it down so so not only our viewers could understand, but so I can understand too. Because yeah. um, it's a big industry and it's, from my understanding, it's really just giving back to the people and it's really helping the people because that's what we need. Yeah. Um, so kind of moving on from there, I want to talk a little bit about um, when it comes to affordable housing, I know it's not, you know, one and done right and so it needs to be maintained what does that process of maintaining look like the again there's these two silos that we're dealing sure. with and those are the major areas of public housing or of affordable housing the low-income housing tax credit program does a good job of doing a capital needs assessment right up front okay good knowing the needs of the property most of them are either rehab, substantial rehab, mm -hmm. or built new. Okay. So if they're built new, obviously we're setting in pretty good shape yep. from, from the rehab standpoint. <clears throat> when you get into a lot of the properties I deal with are older Section 8, and so we can combine that Section 8 with the low-income housing tax credits. We do the capital needs assessment, and we reassess the what we call the replacement reserve. Okay for each of the properties and that really we take a look at the 20-year needs of the property from the capital needs standpoint not painting a unit or anything like that right but actually doing the capital needs the hvac the roof tuck pointing if it's brick yep. all of those things come into play kitchen cabinets bathrooms you know those are major components that we have to deal with so if we combine the Section 8 with low-income housing tax credits, we again do the reassessment, we mm -hmm. do a lot of the fix-up up front, and then we set up the annual deposit to the replacement reserve to be adequate to cover those capital needs for that 20-year period. Wow. Now, <clears throat> I will tell you there's been a hiccup. Okay. And um, anyone in construction out there <laughs> understands this. Yeah. Having gone through COVID, and all the restrictions that we've seen on supplies, it has really peaked then mm. the cost of the supplies and the cost of materials. Yep. I'm not, and I'm sure I'm not telling anyone anything. Right. It's been crazy. But that has created somewhat of a problem for us. But we see that softening a little bit now. And yeah. as the supplies get greater uh, and come into play, we're seeing uh, uh, more realistic pricing coming in but it was a real struggle during covid too did things kind of uh, stand still when that was at the peak of it or 
Were you guys just improvising or we were or? we were still improvising and having to redo budgets and uh, re reforecast and do things like that. A few projects we just kind of put on hold. Sure. And because there wasn't an emergency need yeah. to get them done, but I'll tell you there were some that we were already in the process. And to stop at that point would have just been a disaster. Yeah. And so we had to just kind of bite the bullet, <clears throat> do the best we could, right. stretch it out, buy as many of the supplies as we could up front. Mm -hmm. Getting the supplies was the other issue. You could, If you could buy them, getting them then was the next issue. Oh, yeah. The delays and everything. Yeah. And then we've had issues with, uh, you know, personnel and having enough contractors on site and enough uh, framers and... People to work on these properties because or people that are qualified. That qualified, and most of them obviously were concerned over COVID and right. everything. Totally understandable, but it was a real cycle that we've had to go through. But I think we're on the downside of that now, sure. and so um, we're seeing a lot more activity. It's like you can't stay like that forever, and that's no. what we kept saying. I mean, in our construction industry as a GC company, I mean, we know that we had to pivot too. Yeah. Um, but you have to find solutions. You have to, you know, be optimistic. Yep. Try to find that, right? So, okay. Um, now, when it comes to looking to the future, and how do we go about solving the long-term affordable housing crisis? <clears throat> well, there's a couple of things. Number one, the RAD program, the okay. rentalism, helps, you know, at least another million and a half. Which, uh, is, which is substantial. It is. Uh, and it hopefully stops that bleeding of the fifteen to 20,000 units a year loss. Uh, we really need to cut that off. It's, okay. not, it's terrible that we don't have enough, let alone losing that many on an annual basis. Okay. But there's a lot of um, activity in Congress right now um, with a lot of groups that are trying to increase the tax credit allocation so that we can... Uh, have the states with more of an allocation that they can do more towards the affordable housing um, concerns for the country. That's really a big one. And, and um, I know a few of the gentlemen in Washington that are working on this, and uh, they're really doing a remarkable job. And we just keep work, looking every year at the budgets right. and seeing if we can't get those budgets increased from the allocation standpoint for the states. Uh, as well as the bond, uh, the private activity bonds, mm. because on 4% credits you have to use private activity bonds. Okay. There's a bond cap that stops those. Okay. So we try and get that cap increased at the same time. Mm. So this is some of the process that we're, we're getting into. I need to mention, too, that the, the low income also affects our elderly. Because yeah. if our elderly are on Social Security only, they probably fall in that 50% of AMI or less. And so we have a lot of elderly uh, that we're dealing with as well, and a lot of low-income housing uh, tax credit properties now are being built for elderly. Wow. Or at least having a, a segment of that property designated for elderly, which is kind of nice. And is that newer on that side of things? It's... Newer from the standpoint that uh, <clears throat> I'm seeing a lot more developers that are being more conscientious towards that elderly sure. um, uh, group that's out there. 
and the fact that they're getting Social Security, that's a pretty good source of income, to be quite honest with you. And it's fairly sustainable rather than somebody that's unemployed or True. moving from job to job. And so we're seeing a lot of that happening as well. HUD has, again, put a couple of programs into place for their, their elderly programs. They have what we call the 202 program, mm -hmm. which is a program with a subsidy okay. for elderly. And uh, under this RAD program, we're doing what we call RAD for PRAC, okay. which is a, a RAD conversion, again, for elderly. Okay. Um, we're still working through that one. There's yeah. some rough spots on that one. And okay. uh, trying to get it tied to low-income housing tax credits and the investors for the tax credits um, are saying we need the HAP contract in place and HUD's going, we need to know what you're doing there. Yeah. So we have this kind of a dilemma that we're right. in, but <clears throat> we're working through it. We're getting there with it. Um, my company has a few of those that we're working on and we work very closely with HUD. Right. Uh, in trying to get that done, and they're very willing to work with us on making changes where, where they may see that coming into play. Wow. So That's good to know, too. Like I said, I wasn't aware of that either, um, but it's good. Again, you guys are hammering it from every angle. And I just, I guess my last question is, you know, you have years and years of wisdom, of knowledge, things that you've been, your, your fingerprints everywhere. You've really been making an impact. And what got you into this industry to begin with? Why did you choose to go down this road? I was kind of thrown into it, okay. to be honest with you. Um, um, I come from a financial uh, background where I worked at a savings loan. Okay. And then we had the savings loan debacle, mm. and the Resolution Trust Corporation came into play. I was fortunate to work for a savings loan that was not in a category of the bad guys. Um, right. And although we were taken over by the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, um, we worked through it. Um, they kept me on to sell the savings loan that I worked for. And then after we completed that transaction, they said, come and work for us at the mm -hmm. Resolution Trust. Well, at the Resolution Trust, we were taking back a lot of these um, uh, properties, a lot of uh, properties that could be used for affordable housing. Right. So we formed affordable an affordable housing group. I wasn't part of the group, but I worked with that group when I was at the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation, so that we could take some of the garden level apartments and so on and convert those and make them affordable mm. um, and make them affordable for affordable residents. Right. And there was some set success there. And so when we dissolved the RTC, um, I went to work for a consulting firm and uh, <clears throat> we were tapped by HUD to come and start look at a new program uh, that was taking expiring Section 8 contracts and marking them to market, mm. which meant lowering the rents. Right. Wow. And the problem there was you lower the rents on those properties and the owner's going to hand you the keys. Makes sense. Because it's just like I lost my job, but I still have a house payment. Mm. And so we put into play restructuring the debt on those properties. We would figure out what the market rent or what the rents could be mm -hmm. in that area. 
and then we restructured debt that would satisfy that, that still gave the owner cash flow, because a lot of these properties were owned by private sector owners. Right. And then we could put a soft second on it for that difference between the old mortgage and the new mortgage to okay. be paid off with a portion of the cash flow over years. Yeah. And so I got involved with it right there because I helped develop that program, but I helped develop it then as a consultant. Hmm. Um, and then we got involved in doing those restructures as well. Wow. So after that, <clears throat> I had had military, I'd had the RTC. I said, I only need three more years of government to retire. <laughs> and so I started looking and then Washington found out I was looking and said, why don't you come to Washington and, and work with us in the Office of Affordable Housing Preservation, Wow! which is the office that I was doing the consulting for anyway. It was a natural for me. It just, I knew all the people there. I actually liked all the people there. That's huge. <laughs> and it was a very innovative group that the secretary said, you guys go figure out how to take care of these things and pre make presentations. Wow. And we did. And... Uh, it was fun. And right. I stayed seven years rather than three. So oh. that's how I got into affordable house. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, was like, <laughs> I knew there had to be more to the story. Yeah. I, again, I can't begin to thank you um, for even taking the time today to come on to our podcast, share with our viewers, because again, the, the knowledge, the wisdom you have, um, I think it's going to help a lot of people understand this this market and kind of where where we see it going some solutions and everything and so uh thank you for your time well thank you and i you know i hope it's beneficial to at least absolutely keep the affordable housing needs out in front of people because sometimes i think it wanes by the right. by the wayside and we we'd like to keep that rolling uh, bring it back us. up to the front so thank you as well <laughs> i appreciate <you>. it <laughs>